when voice systems came along, so like Alexas and Series of this world, I was really excited about them because I was like, wow, we finally get to a world where we can have more of a dialogue and like an information retrieval dialogue. And then clearly that didn't happen. You're still like just barking commands at these systems. But I feel like we might be at this brink where that happens. And I think our systems will change. The way you think about a browser or searching or information retrieval, you know, all of that will change. And I'm just so excited to see what people make out of it. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Pascal Finette, co-founder of Be Radical and advisory board chair for fantastic companies like EY and Pearson's, to name a few. I also had the pleasure of meeting Pascal at Singularity University, where he led a lot of the entrepreneurship and innovation tracks. Seeing him coach, mentor, guide, and educate people on the power of innovation and opportunities that new technologies arrive really struck me. He wasn't someone who just shared what the ideas were about, but he helped people put them into real action. He's also a relentless focus on amplifying positive change in the world, working with areas such as Mentor the Good and the Women's Impact Alliance. He was also a very early member of fantastic companies like eBay, Google, and Mozilla, and now has recently just released a book, Disrupt Disruption, How to Decode the Future, Disrupt Your Industry, and Transform Your Business. This podcast is a great dive into what innovation and how it makes it work. He's really explored areas like open innovation, finding his purpose, bringing communities together to work on emerging technologies. I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this. I've always enjoyed every conversation I've had with him. He's also an avid shepherd fairy collector like myself. So let's hear how it got started for Pascal. When you look at my resume and in hindsight and with retrospect, I can tell you this amazing story, you know, like this thing led to this and then I did this and like I set myself up for success to do this. In the moment, it never made any sense whatsoever. I always followed just my intuition in the moment. And I was always like, oh, this is interesting. Let me do this. You mentioned and alluded to this. The two of us met at Singularity University, where I was relatively early helping them build their entrepreneurship and open innovation track. It's same thing. I happened to know a few people through some other connections of mine stumble into this weird campus on the NASA Ames, you know, facilities, pretty run down, kind of weird, looked like a space program in the 70s, but has not been updated since the 70s. And it just made no sense. I sat there and I was like, this is weird. I like it. I want to be part of this. Let me check this out, you know, and then it was like, somehow I stumbled into it. So to answer your question, I think there's many, many points in my life where I just probably by just saying yes and by being willing to say yes and also willing to take those risks and basically saying like, if it doesn't work out, it's fine. It really shaped my life to this day. Like, quite frankly, you would ask me to say what you're doing. I was like, it, it, none of that makes any sense to me, but it's fun. Yeah, I think there's something that's inherent in your personality. You're very actively curious. You're always willing to try things. And for some people, they struggle with that a little bit, I guess, sometimes. This even of just saying yes, like giving it a go, the unknown. You're someone 
who's always sort of been open to that. What helped you say yes to things? What sort of piques your curiosity that makes you want to go, this sounds like something that I'm ready to let go of what I'm currently doing to explore this new space. So there's things that you look for, like little signals that help you make that choice. Combination of things. So first of all, understanding, I believe there's some nature nurture thing going on. I probably was always rather curious as a child. I'm the child of an entrepreneur. So my dad ran a engineering company. So the little bit of the risk taking is, was always in the family. Also, and I, I want to be very clear about this. People don't see me on this podcast, but I'm white. I'm middle class. I grew up in Europe, in Germany. I've got a good education. So I'm also standing, and I'm acutely aware of this, on a massive pile of privilege, which allows me to do things where, and I'm fully aware of this, this is not the reality for many, where you say, Absolutely. you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. Because I will, I will fall onto my two feet. It's fine. At the same time, understanding is that privilege, understanding it as an opportunity which is given to me. I also feel there's an obligation for me to take that opportunity, right? Because it's there, so I better do something with it. This is... Tim Ferriss, who wrote this once, and it's a little crass, but he had this whole thing, I think it's in the four work week somewhere, where he talks about if a risk isn't so big that you end up dead or totally destroyed in a wheelchair, there's no reason not to take it. And I actually really believe this. With a background like mine, I should take risks. There's an obligation, I think, to take risks, and it's fun. The thing I really enjoy you bringing up is though this sort of if you say obligation in a way, or almost a responsibility, you are a very humble person and you recognize a lot of the opportunity that's been afforded to you for your situation. You know, I, I avail of that too inherently in my daily life. But I think a really important part of that is one, to recognize it and do something about it and also help bring other people along where you can. Again, you've written this fantastic book, again, which shares your own insights about how you've tackled some of the challenges that are in face of you, which, which helps, again, gives people mobility in terms of understanding education and opportunity to get there. But this responsibility piece yourself, I think, is really interesting, right? Because even some of the companies you've chosen to work for have actually been around that, right? Like you worked for Google.org, you worked for Mozilla. These are very strong, community-driven type businesses, right? With real mission behind them. It's not like optimize customer clicks so we get more advertising dollars. There's some real mission and seeing with singularity, right? These are our missions that are profound and bigger than any one individual. So to tell us a little bit more about what attracts you to those types of initiatives, because they're all very interesting in themselves. Manzilla specifically, I'd love to ask you more about because you were there very early in the beginning of like, let's change the way the internet is operating. Even when the internet was a relatively new thing, your idea of be radical, you were even trying to be radical, even in a radically new idea. So what were some of the insights from the community, maybe in the mission? How did that all help attract different types of people to create something bigger than yourselves? You know, you and I, and surely many of our listeners here have heard many, many times, like, you know, like you need to find something which really gets your blood going. And as a company, we need to provide purpose particularly when you talk about Gen Z and even younger Gen Alpha generations. And I have to say, it's like as someone who has lived this, I guarantee you it's like it's 100% true. I could not see myself working for, as you mentioned, a company which like optimizes clicks on the internet. Nothing wrong with companies which optimize clicks on the internet. It's just not for me. 
So I was always very attracted by companies which have a bigger mission, which also fits into my personal like value system, a strong values around accessibility and bringing people along and being inclusive. Mozilla is a good example where Mozilla really on one hand, of course, is this, in, you know, back in the day, this incredible tech company really trying to do something which is somewhat unheard of and impossible. I compete with Microsoft against back in the day, Microsoft Internet Explorer, this behemoth company, 98% market share, et cetera. But on the other hand, it was really about making the internet better and making it better for people and understanding at the very core of it that it's really about the opportunity the internet affords people. So there's an obligation for us to do this. The same, by the way, is true for eBay, which is rather interesting. When you look at eBay, in particular, I was in, at eBay in like 1999, 2000, 2001, those earlier years, particularly in Europe. And you look at it from the outside, it's an auction house selling stuff. What we saw and what really attracted me to eBay was we helped these people sell. I was on the sell side. We helped these people sell stuff on eBay and make a living out of it. And probably for me, like the most formative story I can tell you is I was at an event called eBay Live, which is this big seller event where they bring you know, people from all over the world together who sell on eBay. And I was working at eBay Germany. So we had these t-shirts on with like a little Germany flag on it. And an American eBay seller, a woman in a wheelchair, will never forget this. It comes to me, is like rolls up to me and says, oh my God, you guys changed my life. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Pause, you know, like we're selling shit on eBay. Uh, pardon my language here. What are you talking about? And she's like, well, listen, like I'm dis disabled. I couldn't find a job. I found that selling this particular kind of collectible doll from the US on the German marketplace is an incredible opportunity because somehow you don't have those dolls in Germany, blah, 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 it's collectibles, et cetera. And she's like, I make so much money on eBay now that I could buy a house. She's like, you just changed everything for me. Those moments are the moments where I feel like, yeah, this matters. You know, it's, just not, yeah. it's not just about selling more stuff. Yeah, and very special. There's so few opportunities really when you're creating things to like really hear these personal stories from people you're affecting. But that's why you get into this work. You want yeah. to create agency for these folks. And it's really, really special to hear those stories. I think when you're creating these platforms, these opportunities where people can create a life for themselves on top of it, which I think is very, very rewarding. Absolutely. And clearly there's places where you can do this more. You mentioned your wife works for the United Nations. I mean, that's an incredible yeah. calling. But I also do think if you just think back to a random day in your life where you felt like really down, shitty, you walk into your local cafe and the barista just cracks a joke and is really nice to you and it changed everything. Or you yeah. ate this sandwich, which was this amazing sandwich. Suddenly you're like, you know what? Life isn't too bad. So you can find these moments pretty much anywhere in any job, in any profession, in, in any moment. Yeah. You're describing great customer experiences. And that's something I love. There's another aspect, I think, for your work, which is really interesting to me, is also exploring open innovation. That's sort of been another really unique thread through what I've seen you do. Can you explain to people, first of all, because open innovation, it sounds great, but often people are probably like, what the hell? Well, what the hell does that mean? And then could you just help give people a little bit, some of the examples to sort of how you started to bring that to life? Because I think it's fascinating. I always find to hear you share a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So the 
The basic idea around open innovation, and this has been around for, I don't know, decades now, goes back to people like Eric von Hippel, who was at MIT, is really about this idea that can you create a community of people? These can be your customers, they can be other collaborators, they can be people inside of your organization to help you build something together. That's the simplest version of talking about it. It goes back to, if you think about how the Amish, for example, built a church, right? Or like built a building. The whole village comes together, helps build the barn, for example, right? And at the end of the day, there's a big party and, you know, everybody shares into the fruit of the labor, but we're doing it because we want to help. And open innovation really is taking those principles and applying them to the world of quote unquote business. So give you an idea, you know, one of my favorite stories around this whole like open innovation story. Mozilla is a good example for this, where Mozilla has made its code, the workings of the Firefox web browser open source, yeah. meaning everybody can see them. And then it, Mozilla invites people to say, hey, if you see bug, a mistake in it, or if you want to make it better, by all means, please do so and do it for the benefit of all of us. You know, in the heydays of Mozilla, there's some really crazy stats about this. Mozilla itself, we as the company, we as the organization shipped one language, American English. The community translated Mozilla into 60, 70 plus languages because they wanted to have Mozilla in Dutch and German and, you know, whatever. And we just made it possible for them to say, hey, you want to have a Dutch version? That's great. Just translate it. Here's how it works. Something like 40% of the code base was written by volunteers. You know, so it's all Amazing. these crazy, crazy statistics. Yeah. Again, it's one of these things I hear a lot of businesses really struggle with. They often believe that they have to create everything internally or have all these capabilities, capacities to do things. And yet what I often see is actually flipping some of these things on, on their head is, it's this sort of contrary viewpoint often is by opening up your systems, you can actually create more. And that's often very difficult, especially for large corporates to think, right? They live in these worlds that we have to protect our intellectual property, or if people get access to these things, they'll use them in nefarious ways. And yet a lot of these sort of great breakthroughs I find is, especially more and more, is actually activating a community to help you create something more than any company, any team probably could create on their own. I see more and more of that pattern starting to emerge in these new technologies that are sort of starting to enter the fray, whether it's projects funded through NFTs where teams come together to build great ideas and they can self-fund by just creating tokens and doing it, like really fascinating types of models starting to appear. So for you, as you're sort of someone like always digging around in this space, what are some of the, the new emerging sort of trends that are jumping out to you that you're sort of like getting kind of excited about or you're following? I think it's interesting. I want to make maybe just like one quick caveat around this. So there is good reasons why you want to keep something under wraps. You know, like sometimes we develop something which has to be is our intellectual property and that's really the value and thus you keep it under wraps, which is totally fine. I think the second one is it's not just enough to say, well, let's bring the community in. You need to actually give them a reason for them to be part of it. So if it's just the, and I've seen, unfortunately, many projects do this, the approach of we open up, let us help us build this thing. And oh, by the way, we are the, the people who benefit from this. And you know, like you get crumbs. That doesn't make sense, which is interesting because what you just brought up, for better or worse, like some of these Web3 technologies, you know, we're talking about NFTs or particularly fascinating, I find, decentralized organizations where like communities come together, essentially create voting pools, 
really collectively determine where this goes. I look at this and I find this just deeply fascinating for the simple reason that I don't know where it goes, but it's an interesting experience and experiment in the human psychology, right? It's like, are we as humans actually capable for long periods of time to self-organize without quote-unquote leadership? The jury is out. In politics, we seem to have our issues with that, but it is utterly fascinating and so interesting that we're now marrying that social layer of us with a technology layer. And I think there's some really interesting magic which can happen there. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. You know, so recently we started our venture studio, Nobody Studios, and one of the sort of imperatives actually was to give more ownership to people. Because typically in startups, right, the executive team sort of, if it works out, make away with a fortune and everybody else gets like an annual bonus if they're lucky. But one of these things that we tried to do was, I think, jumping straight to a Web3 world where you have to total decentralization, total autonomy, and self-funded and, and through tokenization is very hard for people. But we did equity crowdfunding, which has allowed anyone, whether they're a bus driver, a doctor, a nurse, whatever they might be, for a hundred bucks, they're able to own a piece of our studio and by default, every company we ever create. So it's been really fascinating to see how many new people have come into this world. And most of them have like never built a product, but we're always curious about it. Or, you know, a large majority of our investors are like a hundred bucks because they just want to be part of this world. It's been really fascinating to your idea of you can't just open the door and say, hey, everybody, we're a community, pile on in, let's all go. But giving people ways that they can onboard, where they can bring their ideas, how they can debate them, how they can give feedback, how they can help us build parts of the company that we haven't figured out yet that we may have expertise in. It's really interesting to see the chaos in some respect. It feels like organized chaos of trying to direct people in a way to help them contribute the best way that they can and also to help the business needs. And it, it's really interesting, again, to hear you sort of share that as well, because certainly still trying to figure it out, but also experiencing this amazing sort of uplift and experience when people are like, wow, I never thought I'd be able to own an early stage company before. Or I never thought I, I'm based in Nigeria. And every time I try to come up with this idea and share it with people, I never get a chance to bring it to life. And the stories keep blowing me away about when you can connect people, give them a place where they can create together, the magic starts happening. And it's really special to see. I'm always kind of curious as well from like, as people are doing more and more of this, the lessons that they're learning along the way. And, you know, from folks like yourself, who have done this in many different forms and times. It's just always fascinating to be reminded of these things that you do need to give people purpose. You do need to give them a way they know how to contribute. And amazing things happen, I think, when you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've really beautifully summarized this whole idea. It's like, it's really about touching the humanity of people. People want to build, I think. That's human nature. And I found this throughout my career over and over and over again. If you give people a shared purpose, something where they can see themselves, they want to be part of, and they can also see how they can contribute and what their contribution actually brings to the table, people rally. I mean, we see it over and over again. We see it in our communities. And I'm so happy to hear that you're doing it in a venture studio. That's really rad. It's awesome. It's always fun. But I also want people to sort of see even what you're doing today. So one of the things you've been building for the last while is Be Radical, which, you know, like, obviously, I just love the name of the company anyway. 
But it's this place like where people and organizations can really discover like what matters for their future and how they can go and sort of transform. Can you share a little bit with people what inspired you then to sort of start this, right? Because you, you've sort of been involved in lots of companies that you've brought this together for. Now you've, you're doing this and you're bringing some really great people together to make it happen. So can you share a bit about that and what inspired it and what's on ahead as the future unfolding for it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was, particularly when I was at Singularity University, the two of us, we did a lot of helping people to see the future differently, really understanding what could be in the future, particularly when it comes to... And you're to brilliant at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. I think you're very good at it. But, yeah. you know, everybody at Singularity was about this, right? It's like in our specific ways and specific areas of expertise, really talking about and exploring what could be, particularly when it comes to technology, enabled by technology. And what I always found really fascinating is the question, not only getting people to see what could be, but also get them to then build it. Because I think there's an interesting gap between, yeah, I can see the future, but I can't see myself in the future. Or I can see the future, but I don't know what to do about it. And that was always the thing which really like irked me. I was like, oh, I really want to get there because that's where the magic happens for me. So we decided to build essentially a company around this. And there's an interesting origin story to this, which is I met this entrepreneur, Ron Shake. He's the founder of Panera Bread. It's a healthy fast food chain in the United States. Sold the company for just incredible more money, $7.6 billion. And I saw him at a conference where we both spoke. And he said, you know, when we talked about how did you do this? How did you build Panera? He just like summarized this beautifully. He said like, listen, Pascal, at Panera, our approach has always been to discover today what matters tomorrow and then to transform our company into a future that is unfolding before us. That sentence stuck with me because I was like, wait a second, this, unpack this. And you're like, okay, Discover today what matters tomorrow is really understanding what the future could be and then transform the company into the future you now can see. And I think that's the most important thing is like, you know, I, on stage, I like to tell people that I think we've got this really interesting linguistic challenge, which is we talk about the future as if it were a singular predetermined path. The future. It's like it's done. It's like that's the road. This is Highway 1 and you drive to LA. And I'm like, no, that's not true. It's like there is no singular future. There's just like an endless amount of possible futures and we choose which ones we want. And I think it's really important for people to understand that and internalize this and then build. I think one thing that always stood out to me, like you're a fantastic communicator of these ideas and funny as well. Like you always have great examples that sort of make these things real for people. But you are a builder. And you would always run these great sessions where people could actually experience the technologies, where they could plug things together and sort of get the earliest seed, if you will, of what IoT could actually mean for their business. And I think that's a really important part, even as you're describing here, is it's great to have the vision and the perspective, and this is where it might look like. But pairing that with the action which is something I've always seen from you to make it real for people is then they can actually sort of get that first taste of the aha moment of what these technologies, when they're paired together, when they're used in different ways, the effects they can actually have on people's businesses. I think that's a really important part that I agree is often missed in many contexts. It's pontificating about what could be 
And people leave more confused, if they will, rather than with clarity. Or when you give these people and you design these really well opportunities to experience the action side of getting the information and then taking action, there's a much stronger aha, I think, on the other side. So can you share just like one or two little examples of the kind of little experiments you help people run? Because they're always kind of fun and fascinating. And I think it's good stuff people could start trying themselves as they're listening to this show thinking, how could they make some of the ideas and innovations they're seeing real in their own companies? Yeah, absolutely. And I learned this, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here. I learned a lot of this insight and the approach from a gentleman called Tom Chi, who's one of the co-founders of Google X and led the design thinking part of Google X. And he told me two important things. The first is he said, Pascal, really need to understand that action leads to insight more often than insight leads to action, which describes exactly what you just described, Barry, which is this idea is like, we've got all big brains, we can all sit there and like think about things, but they often don't move forward. They don't go to action. Whereas if you do something, you actually learn something. And that insight then generates often, you know, further action. And then the second thing, I learned from Tom is really this question of when you try things out, and he called this rapid prototyping, it's this idea that asking yourself the question, what is the cheapest, easiest, quickest way to test your assumption? Because very often it's like too high fidelity. Very often we're sitting in a meeting and we're like, oh, let's call our agency and have them build a prototype. And then like a half a million dollars later, and like six months later, you have a prototype, et cetera. Right? Whereas in reality, very often it's just, just open your laptop and look it up, you know, that kind of thing. Just to give you an idea, I find this so fascinating. So while we're recording this here, the world is awash in communication around something called ChatGPT, which is this AI-based model, which ingests a ton of data and is essentially conversational. And it's a really fascinating piece of technology. It's not perfect, but it's a really fascinating piece of technology. What I find so interesting is how many people talk about it and have all kinds of like questions about it. You know, like they're fearful, they're excited about it. And granted, ChatGPT has 100 million users, but how few people have actually used it? You know, there's so many people I hear, I talk to, who are like, oh yeah, ChatGPT this and ChatGPT that. And I'm like, have you actually tried it? No. <laughs> I'm like, just go on the website. You can open an account for free. You can use it for free. Just spend an hour with it. Just type stuff in and see what it does. And you realize quickly, some things it's utterly brilliant at, other things, it's just like, whoa, wait a sec, this is weird, but just do it. So again, like action leads to insight. You know, my encouragement is, and I get it, we're all busy, but just find a little bit of time to play with that stuff. Even if you don't feel you're a technologist, often you don't need to be. I think this notion of play and actually putting time aside to explore is actually really important. It's so funny. You're making me laugh sharing that story because I I think I've experienced the same scenario about a million times where I've read more about or heard more from people's pros and cons of chat TBV. And I'm like, how are you applying it? Have you tried to use it on anything? Or, or I seem to be in every meeting. It's like an answer for everything at the moment where I'm like, oh, we'll just give it to this chat and it'll tell us exactly what we need to do. I'm like, oh my God, it's hilarious. But listen, just, you know, for you, like you really are, again, continuing to like, find these areas, these sort of unknown corners and, and bringing them into action and reality. What are you most excited about when you look ahead now at some of the, all the innovation happening? Is there one area that's sort of really piquing your curiosity most at the moment that you're digging around in? That's a really good question. I'm a 
computer science guy by heritage and training. What I find really interesting at the moment is, and again, like this is my personal bias just because that's where I grew up in. What I find so interesting is to look at, if you think about the systems which define what the web is today for us, the Facebooks of this world, the Googles of this world, it feels to me that we are at a pivotal moment where the way we think about information retrieval and so on is going to dramatically change. And the thing which just to give you just like one simple example, like the, one of the things which really just blew me, my mind the other day was with these new chat GPT, these new AIs, it's really about how do you craft the prompt? So how do you craft the question? Which is really fascinating. It's, like, it's actually not about the answer. It's about asking a better question, which, you know, you've been preaching forever. So the really fascinating thing I found was I saw someone create prompts which allow you to summarize scientific papers which is beautiful because it allows me to like not read the 20 page paper, but get the summarization. And one of the prompt cues he put in there, which I didn't think about, and I thought is brilliant, is asking ChatGPT to name five questions we should ask the authors of the paper. So become inquisitive about the paper itself. So not just summarizing the paper, but asking like, what are further questions we wanna ask? And I've applied this to a couple of papers I recently I'm reading in the space of economics, the questions were brilliant. I'm like, this is incredible because it helps me think. You know, it becomes this like interesting, like two-way communication. And the irony of all of this is, and Barry, you might remember this, like when voice systems came along, so like Alexa's and series of this world, I was really excited about them because I was like, wow, we finally get to a world where we can have more of a dialogue and like an information retrieval dialogue. And then clearly that didn't happen. You're still like just barking commands at these systems. But I feel like we might be at this brink where that happens. And I think our systems will change. The way you think about a browser or searching or information retrieval, you know, all of that will change. And I'm just so excited to see what people make out of it. You know, I think that's just another great example of the way you see the world and how you approach it, where most people are asking these AI tools to tell them to summarize, to tell them the answer, you're thinking about, can you ask better questions? Which I think is sort of a, encapsulates your approach to life in, in, a, in a perfect way. Listen, Pascal, thank you for jumping on the show and sharing some of your fantastic insights and story with us. Like that's what people really enjoy. I really appreciate you. And I would highly recommend anyone go check out Be Radical, look out for the book. Disrupt disruption. It's just, uh, I'm excited to see how many more people get to experience this and, and continue to reach out and be in touch with you. So, thank you very much for being on the show. Barry, thank you so much. This was a really rich conversation. <laughs>